0: Remember, as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour. I'm Cheryl Benton, your host today, and we are going to be talking about our vaginas. Yes, I said the word. Our guest today is Dr. Alyssa Dweck. She's a practicing gynecologist in Westchester County, New York. She has been voted as a top doctor by New York Magazine and Westchester Magazine. She has co-authored three books, The Complete A to Z for Your V, the sexual spark, and B is for the vagina. She provides to care care to women of all ages, and she's delivered thousands of babies, but these days she focuses her practice on women who are post-childbearing age, which would be most of us listening today, I think, and female sexual health. So welcome, Dr. Dweck.
1: Thank you, thanks so much for having me
0: today. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here and you were recently on our um, women's sexual health uh, panel at our virtual renewal summit which and people are still listening to all these great videos and I was so impressed by you and also how important this topic is that I really wanted to be able to spend some more time with you on this. So I know for most women, we've probably been going to gynecologists since our teens, whether we were getting birth control or going through pregnancies and then probably more birth control. And then we hit menopause. And for a lot of women, I think that's a time when we realize that we may actually not have the right gynecologist and I know that happened to me um, and really who wants to be sitting in a waiting room with expectant moms when you're experiencing hot flashes or talking <laughs> hey, oh, or, or going to a gynecologist and I act literally did have this happen to me it was a, a female gynecologist too and she was young and I had gone in to talk to her about Symptoms of menopause, particularly vaginal dryness. And her response to me was, Well, you know, you're not 30-something anymore. And oh, I my. A truth, I was so I was so shocked, and I practically had to beg her to even write me a prescription for uh for a for a topical lubricant. And I all the time I just was thinking. I can't wait till you hit menopause and I hope you have the worst hot flashes, (laughs) but it definitely made me realize that, you know, there are different gynecologists and you need to start thinking about it. So I definitely want to know what made you decide to focus on uh, midlife women and beyond and also sexual health because it's so important. And is this a growing trend with gynecologists?
1: Yeah, so these are all such great questions and concerns and thoughts. You know, I think gynecology is really special. And actually, I should back up and say the entire field of OBGYN is super special. And the reason that I find it so unique is that you get to have the privilege and the fun of following people from the time when they are coming for their first exam and maybe considering birth control or they have their first. Babies, and then you watch them through the years and follow them, you know, through their perimenopausal journeys and through their menopausal journeys. And that's something that I've really enjoyed about this field. I think it's a very natural progression for OBGYNs to really throw in the towel for the obstetrical portion of the practice after many, many years of doing that because it's exhausting and staying up at night is uh, stressful for sure so i think in gynecology your practice tends to age with you so as you're getting older your patients often are getting older as well and it just seems like a natural shift for many of us to go from ob to just the practice of gynecology the other thing is that when when i personally gave up obstetrics You know, I really wanted to have some sort of special niche that I could offer to my patients, something that I found. Interesting, and oftentimes in so many careers, it has to do with a mentor that might have taught you through the times or someone whose practice or style that you've admired. And I happen to come across uh, through my practice some wonderful colleagues, teachers, and mentors who happen to be in the fields of menopause and female sexual health. And that really drove me to want to pursue that more uh, in depth
0: that is so great and i and i and i hope this continues because uh, well first of all look how many of us there are so <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know it's a it's a uh, problem waiting for a solution so i think that's terrific so let, let's start off by talking about the vagina. And first of all, why is this word so difficult for so many women to say? I mean, never mind discussing. <clears throat> and then, of course, there's the media's reluctance to use this word, too. I mean, we've been, you know, our kids have grown up hearing about erectile dysfunction all over the place, but anything having to do with women's sexual health, uh is still kind of taboo in fact i'll tell you something very funny with the um renewal summit i was promoting all of the um all of the videos on facebook and i was promoting the sexual health one and i wrote in the little description i said you know this panel of experts is talking about vaginas well first the first thing that happened was facebook came back and said they couldn't accept it and then i'm like Mm -hmm. and then i'm like oh of course because i said the word vagina right so then i asked for a manual review and they finally came back and did this but i know you said when you wrote your book that b is for vagina that you were also concerned that some of the media outlets (laughs) wouldn't talk about it so what what's with this what's with the word what what's i do not
1: know what gives with the word vagina that it has just sparked so much concern and controversy, but thankfully we are in the process of changing that right now. And, you know, oftentimes when I give a talk, especially to, uh, you know, maybe business people who are predominantly male and in the uh, 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 male dominated business world for products and consumer things, et cetera, I will often start off by having the crowd just say the word vagina a couple of times so that we can (laughs) just get that out of the way. And make people feel a little bit more comfortable. But you know, the great news is that people like yourself, are are really forwarding this conversation and i think that that's going to make this a much more comfortable topic so that that's a good thing yes you are absolutely right my first book probably was a little bit ahead of its time and it was called vias for vagina and i will tell you just this quick little tidbit, I was sitting in the green room of a major media network to go on a morning show. And you know, it wasn't so great to get up at four in the morning to get down there for (laughs) 6am and get my hair and makeup all done. And they put a kibosh on the story at exactly 10 minutes before I was supposed to air. Reason being, uh, many of the advertisers at that early morning hour, and perhaps some uh, other people, uh, felt uncomfortable with the word vagina and, and showing the cover of my book that actually had the word vagina on it. But now fast forward eight years and this is a much more acceptable topic to discuss. And while we still have to euphemize the word from time to time, I think it's becoming a little bit more acceptable to speak about. And I speak vagina. I, I love this topic. I, I, you know, I have one. Everybody who doesn't have one at least knows somebody who does. So I think it's something that we all need to know about.
0: Well, bravo and well said. I just, I love that. So let's move on to another of the big letters in the alphabet and that's the big M for menopause and you know so after getting our periods really it's the next big life change for women and while certainly menopause is discussed much more now than in our mother's generation and and we have posted so many articles at the Three Tomatoes on this topic and even done events just around this topic but I know there is still so many misconceptions out there. I you know I hear it all the time. And so could you just start by explaining what the stages are from perimenopause to menopause and postmenopause? Sure. Sure. So, you
1: know, a lot of this is semantics, so let me put it simply. Menopause by definition is 12 consecutive months without menstruating for no other obvious reason, okay? The time leading up to when you've now become in menopause, 12 months of consecutive no periods, is called the perimenopause. And for many women, it can last upwards of, you know, four to eight or nine years. And it's typically uh, noted with irregular bleeding and the iconic symptoms of hot flashes and night sweats and during the perimenopausal time these symptoms may wax and wane they may be constant they may be erratic and some lucky women will have absolutely nothing at all but That is the hallmark. Those are the hallmark symptoms and the hallmark amount of time that it usually takes to get there. The postmenopause, again, I guess technically speaking, that's the day after you've gone 12 months without your period consecutively for no other reason, and you can call yourself menopausal or postmenopause. But the truth of the matter is, although a lot of women do suffer, and we can talk about that in more detail if you like. There are a lot of really positive things about menopause. And I think that's something that I like to focus on because so many people are thinking about the negatives, but how about the positives? So for one thing, if you used to have to worry about contraception, you no longer have to worry about that. This was a very big deal for lots of women, especially women who maybe didn't want to use hormonal therapy or who just felt overwhelmed and burdened by the need for contraception. So hooray, we don't have to think about that anymore. Number two, bleeding can be a real hassle for lots of women. Menopause gives you the right to say goodbye to your bleeding so you don't have to worry about Menstrual pot products, and uh, you know, are you going to be near the bathroom if you're going to need something like that? So these are two very real, liberating things that I like to focus on when it comes to menopause. So those are things to think about when you're uh, suffering with some hot flashes <laughs> and night sweats and some of the other things that go
0: along with. So that's I, I love that. that's that's so great to hear. So, Do you find that a lot of women come in to you who are actually in perimenopause, but they don't realize it, you know, they're coming in? What are some of the the common misconceptions, I guess I would say, or or not even recognizing that, you know?
1: No question about it. So I think, you know, we're super busy these days, and I'm imagining most of your listeners are the typical multitaskers who are doing a, a million things professionally, personally with kids and spouses and dogs and jobs and whatnot. The thing is, is that oftentimes, this takes women by surprise. You know, you get one or two irregular periods, your bleeding is a little bit off, but there may be a disconnect of what's really going on with your hormones because you're too busy worrying about other things. The good news is that a lot of women these days, following their periods carefully on apps or you know calendars, what have you, will now start to think about it. Especially since we're reading a lot about perimenopause and menopause, and uh, so hopefully it will stop taking people by so much surprise. But what do you normally look for? Hot flashes, night sweats, trouble sleeping, which then translates into some mood changes and alterations, and irritability or loss of patients during the day because you maybe haven't had a restful night's sleep. The other symptom that really can take women by surprise, which typically follows the irregular bleeding and the hot flashes, etc., would be vaginal dryness and vaginal changes. And most women refer to their chain their vaginal complaints as dryness, but Really, it could include so many different symptoms, dryness, discomfort during intercourse or intimacy, Uh, maybe a slight change in the secretions that come from the vagina, or a slight change in your uh, proneness to infection. So these things often do take people by surprise.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I still remember my first hot flash and I was standing in a conference room giving a presentation to a group of prospective clients. And all of a sudden I didn't know what was happening and I actually even lost my concentration and I was like, oh my, afterwards I was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? So it definitely took me by surprise and then took me a little while to realize what was actually really going on. But let's let's talk about sexual health and the vaginal dryness thing because it is it happens to so many women and it is something that a lot of women don't talk about or they think this is just... What happens as you get older, and also the whole loss of libido thing. And, and I know you say it's important to be sexually active for our health, but if you're going through loss of libido and, and vaginal pain, you know, what do you do? So, what do we need to know? Why is our sexual health so important, and what can we do about some of these issues?
1: Okay, so sexual health and general health often go hand in hand. So we see women who have good general health often have better sexual health lives. Um, By the same token, women who are having regular sex tend to have less general medical issues. So the two things go hand in hand. With that said, I think we should focus mainly on vaginal discomfort, especially during intimacy, because this is something we can all be proactive about. And libido is complex and I think probably too much of a conversation to include in a quick podcast, but I'm happy to talk about it in future. But I think it's very important to realize there is such a connection between vaginal dryness, we'll just use that term, pain during intimacy and low libido because who wants to have sex if it hurts? That is going to naturally lessen your drive, especially after it happens over and over again. So how do we approach this? First, vaginal moisturizers. It's very easy to be proactive with a vaginal moisturizer and whether this is something over the counter, a gel, a cream, or even a minimally absorbed vaginal estrogen, One of those options will be helpful for most women, at least, to be used at first and proactively to help prevent vaginal dryness. So that's one thing. After all, we all use face cream probably once a day at least, and we don't forget to do it because we want our faces to be supple and the skin to be healthful and whatnot. Why not apply the same principles to the vaginal tissue so that we can expect it to be moist when we want it to. The second thought is to use and use liberally a lubricant for sexual activity. So this is more used on demand when you're going to have intimacy, not only to help prevent friction and discomfort, but it might even enhance your pleasure. And this is for women who are having sex with a partner, women who are doing things solo and on their own. These are helpful and proactive measures that can be taken so i think that's a first and fairly simple uh first step to take
0: well that's great advice because you know what you're saying to him is you don't have to live with this is is it something you know there are things that you can do about this so i think that brings a a lot of hope to a lot of women who haven't really thought about it. And I
1: would like to make a point, you know, some of my patients come in, I always inquire about this subject matter because it's of interest to me and I want to make sure it's part of a conversation if my patients want to have it. And frankly, there are some women who just say, you know what, Dr. Dwag? I could take it or leave it. I don't really want to address this. Thank you for bringing it up, but let's move on to something else. And that's okay too. It's not on the top of everybody's mind, nor is it of vital importance to every woman.
0: But it's so great that at least you're bringing it up. And I have to tell you from conversations with a lot of women that very often that topic is never brought up by any of their doctors. And they're often very reluctant to bring it up, which is why, you know, sadly a lot of women are suffering with, you know, yeah. with, with with issues that, you know, in fact they could be addressing pretty easily too. So let me ask you another question, too. Where where do you stand on hormones? I mean, I know there were so many of us who were on hormones. I was one of them, and then all those studies came out, which turned out not to be very valid, and we went off of them. Um yeah. so it was a very confusing time for a lot of women and I I don't know if it still is confusing now in the in the medical field. I would say it
1: is still controversial. How about that? Yeah. And I think it's very fair that we have an extraordinarily thoughtful discussion with our patients as individuals to decide how important and realistic it would be to use hormones if needed. You know, some women will come in and say, you know what, Uh, some of my friends are using hormone therapy, so therefore I would like to use them. Well, that's not a good reason to use hormone therapy, but other people will be suffering, really having interference and distress with their day-to-day lives, whether it's because of hot flashes and night sweats and difficulty sleeping, or vaginal dryness and pain during intercourse. And these are reasons to at least consider hormone therapy in women who are candidates. Most definitely there is a collection of women who have medical issues or family histories or are taking other medications that might make hormones difficult for them to take safely. And so this is a discussion. There is no one size fits all in my opinion.
0: Excellent. Let's talk a little bit about that postmenopausal women because I know you know a lot of women get to that point where you know they they're not on, they don't need birth control anymore or they've stopped hormones which is was a reason to go to the doctor and I know now there's different ages that they say you no longer need a pap test anymore and they stop going to a gynecologist so yes. is there are we too ever too old to stop seeing a gynecologist? Well. In my opinion, of
1: course not, because <laughs> I find that what I do is very valuable. At least I hope that it is. So this is the thing. Let's not confuse the new updated pap smear guidelines with what your gynecologist is actually doing for you year to year. So true and reasonably, pap smear guidelines have changed so that for many women, a pap smear and an HPV test to screen for cervical cancer will actually be done every three to five years, appropriately, up until age 65, where we actually don't feel pap smears are even necessary anymore. However, I would like to suggest that your gynecologist has done so much more for you through the years than screen you for just cervical cancer. You know, I think that we provide a lot of value to people to give reassurance about their breast health, their sexual health. Oftentimes we're the first line of defense against many medical problems because face it, lots of women are not seeing an internal medicine doctor or a gastroenterologist regularly right. or an endocrinologist regularly. So oftentimes we act almost in a primary care role for uh, for lots of our women to then go forward and get checked by uh, more specialists. In addition, I think sexual health is always going to be something that women want to discuss, uh, breast health uh, for sure. So I still think that there's plenty of value in visiting your gynecologist once a year. I will also make note that many women make their decisions, particularly after the age of 65, based on insurance coverage. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's
1: upsetting, but it is a realistic thing for women. Uh, And um, so, you know, people have to do
0: what's comfortable for them. Wow. So are some insurance companies denying claims if you're over 65 and seeing a gynecologist?
1: Well, I'm not going to go into that whole editorial because you'll have (laughs) me here all day. However, Medicare in general suggests that preventative gynecologic care could be done every two years, Hmm. which is a change from what lots of women had been accustomed to when they were being seen yearly. So I don't want to say that women who are 85 or 90 necessarily need to see their gynecologist once a year, but I surely hope they're seeing some provider once a year and knowing what they should touch base with their gynecologist for.
0: Well, that's very interesting to hear. And I think great, great advice too, because the things that, as you just talked about, the the all the positive benefits of going to a gynecologist are so much bigger than just getting a, you know, a pop smear uh, occasionally. And these are certainly not topics that an internist or some of your other doctors are even willing to discuss with you. So, you know, they're not yeah. going to certainly answer some of those questions. Well,
1: so, some of them are terrific, and they will uh, pursue some of these questions. But I would, I would
0: have to say that's probably not the norm. Yes, I would. By my own experience, I would agree. Limited experience, but talking to other women, too, I would definitely, definitely agree with that. So when women come in to you, you know, post-menop, what are some of the most common questions they tend to ask you?
1: Yes, so in the menopausal realm, I find that most complaints either center around being physically uncomfortable because they're having the situation like you did where they break out in this hot flush that is you know physically uncomfortable and disruptive, uh, difficulty sleeping because of similar reason, and some of the mood uh, changes that go along with lack of sleep and just being physically uncomfortable because of these symptoms, so that's one big complaint. Obviously, I have a self-selected population now, and I'm lucky to have this, of women who come in with sexual complaints, whether it's pain during intimacy or difficulties with climax and orgasm or dryness just as a sole symptom or sometimes other vaginal complaints that we have to work on.
0: Well, I think that's great, and I think it's really positive to hear that women are taking starting to take much more control of their sexual well-being and realizing you can be a sexual being (laughs) way you know almost due to every single decade and it's great to know that um that they're coming in and asking you these questions and i think the more we have these conversations the more women are going to realize that yes this is this is something that's very important and I can't just, you know, give up on this and that there are a lot of a lot of wonderful things that we actually can do to make this happen. So well, we have to have you back. I would really love to have a whole conversation on just the libido thing, because I know that's another big one, but this just went so fast. So I know. And, and while I know that everyone listening right now would love to be able to book an appointment with you, but we don't all live in Westchester, which is where you are, but how do we go about finding a gynecologist who knows how to deal with the aging female?
1: Yeah. So first, I'd like to say that I think most gynecologists are trained to do this. And sometimes it just takes a little pushing to get the gynecologist or the OBGYN that you've been seeing for years and years to help you with the issues that you're dealing with. If you find that's not the case, I always recommend the website menopause.org. This is a both a professional and layperson website for menopause in general, and they do have a referral list of menopausal providers who are specialized in this field. So I think that's very helpful. In addition, there is a website called ISWISH, I-S-S-W-S-H.org. This is basically a society for sexual health in women, and they also have a resource list of providers uh, that can be tapped into. And then finally, because many times some of these issues of menopause and sexual health turn out to really be more in the mental health field. And that's something that you really need to turn to somebody who specializes in that. I would recommend the website, asect.org, A-S-S-E-C-T. And this again is a, a great resource for mental health providers that are specializing in the world of sexual health. So three really great resources for people
0: venturing through this time. Wow, thank you. That's fantastic, and I have to say, I was not aware of any of those uh, those mm-hmm. websites. So, thank you for sharing those resources. That's huge, and we'll make sure that we also list that out when we describe this podcast as well, because that's just great information. So, I thank you so much for joining us today. It's this has just been such an important conversation, and you're just I just love how you approach it, and you're so easy to talk to and so approachable I can see why all your patients love you too and why you were named a top doctor it's so great and that's a great honor and to to learn more about Dr. Dweck her practice and her books which are fabulous in fact I just uh, ordered your A to Z book and uh, visit her website it's drdweck.com so thank you thank you it's a pleasure